welcome to the Christ Life without Rex. Rex will actually, in this sermon series, be with us maybe half of the time as he's going to be doing some extensive traveling. And uh, uh, the the advantage for me is I actually get the whole table. And so for some of you, you know, that's uh, kind of a big deal because, you know, when you got this little table split in half, then it makes it a little bit more difficult. Actually starting a, a new sermon series this week, uh, uh, simply called Align, uh, A Positionally Correct Life. And this is for me born out of a bit of a quest, a personal quest where I'm uh, trying to work through all the weeds as the uh, church as an institution has so many different uh, fragments, has so many different, uh, you know, factions, so to speak, um, so many different ideas of the way things are supposed to be. I'm trying to go back to a bit of a simpl simplicity of the early church and uh, between the, the apostles and about 300 AD. There's not a lot that is known, but as archaeologists uncover more and more, we're, we get more of a glimpse of what life was like. We know that the expansion of the church was significant, and a big part of that was not because they had the Bible. A big part of that was because they lived the Christ life. They, they had an experience with Jesus. They shared their experience with Jesus. They knew that Jesus was with them. They knew that Jesus would confirm uh, his word was signs and wonders, and the church just exploded everywhere. And so really what we're, what we're going to do over this sermon series is uh, we're going to kind of battle some of the same things that the early church found that they had to battle. And uh, we're, I'm going to just put it simply this way. It's just really, really getting our beliefs and our behaviors aligned. Because understand that when the first church uh, uh, really started to grow, they didn't have the New Testament as we have it. There were letters that were um, being circulated, but it wasn't just the letters that were in the New Testament. There was a number of different letters going to uh, being circulated around, and then there were uh, there were other belief systems that began to uh, began to pop up. And belief systems are a powerful part of our life because out of our belief system comes our behavior. A number of years ago. Uh, when we pastored in Arizona, we had we pastored where the Navajo Nation was to the north and the Apache Reservation was to the south. So it was not uncommon for us to have both Apaches and Navajos that uh, were part of our body. And uh, one young lady made an appointment to see me one time because she had an experience uh, as she was, uh, was driving somewhere where she saw a coyote and coyotes have huge significance for uh, for the Navajo people and that that whole history there, and uh, the, but for her, what made it significant is the coyote coyote passed in front of her, which you know most of the time is a good thing, except when the coyote is going from the east to the west, and when it's going from the east to the west, basically you have a curse upon you, and she believed as was the tradition of the Navajo people, that if you experience that, then you were going to have uh, a curse and life was going to start going downhill. So she went to go see the medicine man, uh, but the medicine man wanted to charge her $350, and she said, well, I guess I'll go ahead and uh, go see the pastor. And uh, I said to her, I said, well, that's all right, because I'll only charge you $60. Not really. I'm sure that was going through my head at the time. But her, but her, belief system uh, needed to be adjusted because she was going to live her life in such a way that um, uh, ultimately was going to hurt uh, what God had planned and intended for her. So we're going to be doing that over the sermon series because what you find is that the early church, there were three main streams of, 
of theologies that tried to work its way into the church. And what you find is that when you understand them, you begin to see that when 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 Paul or when John or when Peter are writing uh, their letters, they're addressing these because they're they're putting up these walls of protection so that the experience that the people uh, had with Jesus would grow and would blossom and become everything that the Lord would want that want it to become. The first was uh, just kind of this uh, the Ebonites uh, blend of of, of um, uh, Christianity or whatever you want to call it, but they believed that ultimately Jesus became the Messiah because of his behavior or his ability to follow the law to the greatest extent. And so uh, ultimately they believed that the better you are, now you're going to hear some of maybe your belief system in this, that the better you are at living the religious life, the closer you're going to become or the more uh, the more religious or the more pure you're going to become. Jesus ultimately became pure because of the way he thinks. So when you read the book of Galatians, you find that, find that Paul is pushing back in that specific area. And then uh, do, do, docism um, taught that Jesus really wasn't a man. Uh, he was God in the flesh, um, but he, he only seemed uh, that way. Uh, you, you find in John chapter 19, John chapter 20, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, that, uh, that there's time spent where Jesus is um, a fully man, fully God. There, there, there wasn't a, a reality for him of just coming in certain circumstances, but he was that way from birth. And, uh, uh, and so you find that, uh, again, in the letters start beginning to deal with it. But the biggest one, and, and from the, certainly from the enemy side, uh, the most effective one that that infiltrated and perverted and diluted uh, Christianity was Gnosticism. Gnosticism believed um, and believes in dualism. Uh, think of it this way: if you've ever seen the yin and the yang, that that that's that, that's that kind of a thought process. Now, that yet we know there is there is good and there is evil, but their view of the dualism dualism is that is that everything that is spiritual is good. And everything that has matter is evil. In other words, everything that you see, everything you touch, uh, that's all evil. And that um, if, if you, they, one of the examples that uh, they often would give is that is that God is the sun, and the further away from the sun, God dissipates like rays of light uh, to a place of matter, and that um, ultimately that um, that for uh, for um, uh, for them. Uh, there, there was because um, uh, Gnosticism also means knowledge. There was, uh, there were, there were gurus. There were, there were the 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 spiritual men who had special knowledge from the Lord. I think that's a that's an important thing for us to recognize, even in this day, that there is a special knowledge that uh, that can easily come. Uh, and uh, uh, and let's pause this. Boom! I have no timer. Oh, you're right. I'm not no. It's right, and my I'm trying to figure my pace of my oh, yeah. sermon. So that was about sixty minutes. Oh, sorry about that. So, I'm going to start back at the the Gnosticism part. Sure. The largest and uh, most, at least from the enemy standpoint, effective 
form of, of, of heresy that would infiltrate Christianity and dilute and take away and ultimately sideline and derail Christianity was Gnosticism. Gnosticism believed in, in a dualism. Think of yin and yang. And I know that we, we know and understand there's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of darkness. But what they believed is that the kingdom of light was everything spiritual and everything that is matter, everything that you can see, feel, touch, and taste, uh, that's all evil. They would, they would, they think that they would think that the God being the sun, uh, hit as, as the rays of the sun leave, it dissipates and gets further, further away. And so God got further and further away from, uh, everything that is, that is, is considered matter. And so they, they uh, had the, their gurus, their speakers, their, their people who were very charismatic in their speech. Uh, they, they, if it was modern day, they would write books like, you know, the seven hidden truths of scripture or the seven hidden truths of a revelation of God. Uh, we know that everything is, uh, uh, has been uh, made known through Christ Jesus, um, but they, they had this hidden uh, knowledge, hence the Gnosticism. So people would come to them for this hidden knowledge, really plays off of the same trap that Adam and Eve fell into, that, uh, you know, uh, God's withholding from you. There's more knowledge out there. And we always need to be careful thinking outside of Jesus Christ, there's more knowledge out there. While there may be things we don't know, Ultimately, the things we need to know is in Christ Jesus. And so they really played on that a lot. And what you find is that, that Paul, he really dealt a lot with this in, uh, in the scriptures. You find uh, the Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Colossians, John in all of his letters dealt with this particular, uh, this particular heresy. Because they, ultimately, uh, as the church was growing, they had to deal with something because the church was getting further and further away from uh, the apostles. Now you had the the disciples of the apostles who had disciples of those apostles, uh, those disciples, and there was now two and three generations of disciples. And so as the church spread, they ultimately had to come up with something that caused there to be unity, caused there to be a a cohesiveness if the person was a Christian in North Africa or they were a Christian in uh, in the uh, in Euro Asia or they were in in uh, Middle East wherever they were at they they needed a cohesiveness and that's where we get what we're going to really build this sermon series on is the Apostles Creed now the Apostles Creed there's um, certainly a lot of unknowns about the original or, or uh, original origin of it. Later on in the in the the three uh, hundreds, they actually did the Nicene's Creed, which they adjusted it slightly. But the original part of the Apostles' Creed, uh, they first found in the first century, where they used it as a form of water baptism. Let's go ahead and let's just read the Apostles' Creed uh, in that form uh, together. It says, "I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Christ Jesus, His only Son, our Lord." who was born of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, was crucified under Pontius Pilate and was buried, on the third day rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and life, and the life everlasting. And so what what they uh, really originally saw this as being used as is a form 
of water baptism, that the person would come in. And so you think of it a little bit this way, early morning, the rooster crows, they're, they're led out to the pool of, of, of water, uh, the, the clothes that are, that are removed, the women, they, they let their hair down, they take, the, uh, they take their jewelry off, uh, and then uh, they renounce Satan, and then they're anointed with oil from head to foot. And then the question is uh, said to them as they're led into the water, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty? And they reply, I believe. And then they're plunged down in the water and raised again. They're asked a second question. Do you believe in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was born of the Holy Spirit and Mary the Virgin, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate and dead and buried and rose the third day, alive from the dead and ascended in the heavens and sits at the right hand of the Father and will come to judge the living and dead? Again, they confessed, I believe. And again, they were immersed in water. Then the third question, do you believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy uh, Catholic Church and the resurrection of the flesh? A third time they cried, I believe. And a third time they were immersed. When they emerged um, from the water, they were again anointed with oil. They, they're, they're clothed, blessed into the assembly of believers, uh, where they would go and for the first time share in the Eucharist meal. And then finally, they were sent out into the world to, do go, uh, to grow in faith and do uh, good works. Now, this, uh, why is this significant? Because the first, for them, the water baptism uh, was uh, a significant life change. I think it's easy for us in the church to just gloss over the power and the significance of water baptism. They, they, they understood that they were truly dying to this old way of life. They were not going back to it. But it all came around these two words, I believe. I want to take a few minutes and talk about that because who, who really are the eyes? Who's the I? Now, in our culture that is very individualistic, it's very uh, focused on everything about the individual, uh, from God's perspective, that word I is very plural because that's the stepping into, that's the moving into Christ Jesus. It's the moving into the body of Christ. It's moving into the, the bride of Christ. And so when we say, I believe, we're only doing that from a standpoint of our individual voice as it is joined with all the voices throughout the ages that have said, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We are, we are joining them throughout all of history. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. And I think that the, it's also the, the great challenge of our day where the body of Christ is so segmented. It's so fragmented. There are so many different denominations. There are so many different uh, ideas of the way that Christianity is to be led out that we lose the the significance and the power of the history when we utter the words, I believe. Because now we are so, so much um, uh, part of so much something bigger than anything that we can imagine. In fact, uh, as, as is common with all of our videos, we get divisive comments from it. And I want to encourage you that, that the body of Christ is a whole lot bigger than your nice theology. I don't know that the Lord has said to anyone, hey, listen, you got the corner on truth. This, this is the beauty of the Apostles' Creed. It, it is a unifying document that you actually would find few, uh, few people to uh, disagree on. Now, there might be some of you that when I got to Holy Catholic Church, you immediately went, well, no, 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 I'm not Catholic. 
But those words, uh, those words are your words. Those aren't the words that were written in this document. Okay? Holy Catholic Church just simply meant Holy Universal Church. And later on, when uh, when it got Romanized, uh, the, the 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 group from Rome uh, decided that they would call themselves Catholic. But before the Roman Catholic Church, there was the Holy Universal or the Holy Catholic Church. And whether they're Catholic or they're Methodist or Baptist or Pentecostal or Charismatic, the reality is is that we are all part of the universal church of Jesus Christ. And, and so when, when we say, I believe, uh, don't worry about all the extended theologies. Uh, begin to focus in on the person of Jesus Christ, because here's what we have that they didn't have. We have the New Testament in its final form, and from that, what you find as it came together in th the year 396 or 5 AD, uh, you, what you find is people have been commenting on that ever since. There have been uh, untold thousands of books written about the New Testament letters. That's not a bad thing. It only becomes bad. As Paul said, knowledge puffs up. So the more we know about it, the more we 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 tend to say this is the this is the original meaning, this is what it meant, and this is thing. We establish a, a division from other parts of the body of Christ, and a big part of I believe is being together in a world that is already divisive over race, over uh, politics, all the things that we're divisive about. I believe that the spirit of Christ is saying, join with me, which is the Christ life, and unite, come around. The disciples, they came around Jesus, and, and they recognized that there, there were people that were, that were doing things in Jesus's name, and they said, well, Lord, do you want us to handle it? And he's like, hey, listen, if they're not against us, they're for us. And I think that's a great lesson for each of us that, listen, they may, there may be people that don't have the exact same belief as you and I do, but that doesn't mean they're less, and it also doesn't mean they're wrong. Let others be who God is allowing them to be. And by God's grace, which is big enough for all the different theologies and all the different things, we come together around those words, I believe. What you find about the Apostles' Creed is that it's broken into the Trinitarian belief of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It really starts with the reality of the great I am. Paul, in the first chapter of Romans, he talks about every person is without excuse, that you can look at creation, and it speaks of the glory of God. And, it, and that word glory and that reference really has to do with holding all things together. And I know scientists have been trying to figure that out since the, the beginning of, of the dawn of time, but uh, and, and certainly in parts they've come to understand that, but all of that exists because of the great I am, because the, the God uh, God, the Father of Heaven Almighty. And what the what really is happening here in this early part of the creed is that they're, they're, they're coming against the Gnostic belief that, um, uh, that the things that are matter are evil. Uh, it was common for the Gnostics to pray with their eyes closed because they would never wanted to look at evil things. Now, I know you probably pray with your eyes closed because your mom tried to get you to, you know, calm down when you were running amok as a little kid. Uh, but the, the reality is, is when you look at people, even when you pray, you're seeing something beautiful because God has created them. When you're walking in the woods and there's this sense of, of union and communion with, with God, it's because he's created all things good and perfect. And uh, the, the thing about the Almighty God is that everything from 
from the plants to the earth to, to the sea to you and I are measured to his perfection. He's the one that everything is measured against. What he created was perfect and right. And, and what we did is we came along and we we ruined that. We we basically perverted that a little bit. I a little bit like taking a guitar for me. The guitar itself is made great, um, but when I play it, uh, in my lack of ability, I take it and it sounds bad. Uh, you can take something that was created good and you can make it bad. But that's where Jesus Christ comes because he is uh, he really is the one who who now redeems uh, that which was made bad. It, and so when you begin to move from the the um, the reality of the great I am, you move to the revelation of the Redeemer. And Jesus Christ, this revelation of this is both spiritual and physical. He was born of the Spirit and of Mary. He, he encompasses, and this is the beauty of Jesus Christ, he encompasses the, the past. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, John writes in John chapter 1. And, and yet, he's also present by his spirit. He is with you and I. He is making himself known. He is, he is revealing himself to us. He is revealing himself through us. And yet, he's going to be revealed at his second coming. And he is, when he comes, uh, he's going to come in the future. And he's going to come then, and he's going to, uh, he is going to sit on David's throne, and he is going to judge both the living and the dead. So he's he's both uh, the Savior and he's scary. Hebrews talks about for us he's he's saving us from uh, this this life that is uh, is corrupted. This life that is is less than it will be. He comes and saves us for that. But for those who have not believed in him, who's not accepted him, who have rejected him, they have the the uh, expectation of an angry God who will be judged. They will be judged by Jesus Christ. And then finally, the creed really moves into the resolve of the reconciler. Jesus is the Redeemer. He's the one that was on the cross with his arms wide open, waiting for people to come so he could wrap his arms around. But this, the spirit that draws him there, he's the one that reconciles a fallen humanity with a perfect God. And so uh, we, we, we see that in that portion, he talks about this, uh, this forgiveness of sin. Why? Because it's the spirit that brings us to a place of receiving. And he's the one that unites all of us, which is why it's the universal church. He, he, he unites all of us in Christ Jesus. And that's the beautiful thing. The arms of Christ Jesus are really large enough to wrap around everyone all around the world with all different kinds of uh, varying uh, belief systems. But the, the, the power of the Spirit and forgiveness, and, and certainly from a Pentecostal perspective, and certainly from an early church perspective, the, the, the understanding of the, the fullness of the Spirit as in the day of Pentecost that comes upon us, and uh, ultimately uh, not just comes inside of us at salvation, but now we are immersed in His Spirit, and we begin to speak in other tongues, it becomes a sign. Just as Peter said at the Council of Jerusalem, that it listen to the Gentiles when we went there, just as a day in the Pentecost, God was doing something because they also spoke in other terms. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And, and so for them, it was this sign that they too were forgiven. 
Now, I know some have perverted and take that, taken that theology way too far. But from a Pentecostal standpoint, one of the beautiful things about being full of God's spirit and speaking in other tongues is that we know that while, that while we still are being sanctified day by day and moment by moment, and we, we have a body that wants to live contrary than where our spirit wants to live, we've got God's spirit that says, that's right, I filled you with my presence. You are endued with a power on high. And we know that at some point when this body goes in the flesh, that it's going to be my spirit and soul are going to be reconciled by God's spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to reconcile my spirit and body with a new body. And John writes that, that the spirit that is with us will always be with us throughout all of history. We know that the spirit will be with us. And so what I'm asking over the next couple of weeks for you to join us as we, we just explore this, uh, this um, whole align part. So our belief comes to a simplicity, coming out of the weeds. So our, each of our lives are uh, positionally uh, correct so that we are looking toward and our direction is toward the Almighty God, not focused on all the different uh, varying theologies of the day, uh, but looking to the Lord in his return, but also his activity in our day and life now. So God bless you. Thank you for taking the time and joining us. And I look forward to what God has in store for us. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.